to go from 13 million to over 200 million and to do it in five years just shows how big of a market it is. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, so this is our hashtag one team episode. Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss what they're learning at the moment and how it applies to you. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to the Flip My Phone podcast. I'm pumped today. I think we're closing on. By the time this podcast will be released, we'll have crossed 200 episodes. Congratulations. Uh, so it's, it's, it will be like crazy. And I cannot believe that I haven't interviewed David, David Cummings. So David Cummings has become a great friend, a mentor for me, even though we don't meet every single day and every single week going through it, but through his blog post and what he had done. So very quickly, David was the founder of Pardot that was acquired by Exact Target and then by Salesforce. And I was very lucky to be at the right time at the right place in the Pardot Exact Target uh, Salesforce journey. So I learned a lot. And then uh, he's, in full disclosure, a, an investor in Terminus. So uh, a lot of board conversations. As a matter of fact, we we're recording right after the board meeting. So hopefully that went well, fine <laughs> as a board meeting. But really excited. He has, uh, David has also helped Atlanta Tech Scene by creating the Atlanta Tech Village, which is a really huge organization. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that as part of introduction. And also just as you share a little bit about yourself, just share a fun fact that you may not have shared with a whole bunch of people. But uh, David, I'm super honored to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Great. Thanks for having me today. So again, my background, I've been lucky enough to found a few companies over the years. And one of them, Pardot, was acquired about six years ago by Exact Target, and then Exact Target was subsequently acquired by Salesforce.com. And so after selling the business, you know, being a, a young 30-something, I was trying to figure out what was next. And so I had this idea for creating a community for startups, for entrepreneurs to get together. And so I purchased a building in the financial district of Buckhead. Literally and, a week later or something like that, right? As soon as that was done. Yeah, about six weeks after <laughs> selling the business, we had a 100,000 square foot building. And so went through a process of revitalizing it and transforming it. And today it's the fourth largest tech entrepreneurship center in wow. the country. So congratulations. Thank That's you. Huge. Over 300 startups in the building and over a thousand people working on all kinds of random cool stuff. Wow. So what's the one fun fact? Because I think every time I've seen David, like David is, is a man of few words. Like very few, like, you, you know, I think, and that's something that I've noticed, like you would only say things that I feel like you, I can see that you're thinking a whole lot and I will just talk about everything that I'm thinking, not thinking. And you're like, I just say one word and that one word is big enough that I would be thinking for the next like day or day and a half. So it's always like you're very measured on it. But if there's a fun fact that you, you have not shared very commonly, is there something that, that I don't know about? On a personal level. One of my passions is uh, water sports, so wakeboarding mm. and wake surfing. So a really fun item to do is surf behind a ski boat. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I enjoy doing. That's cool. We have been at, uh, at your lake house for a couple of times for uh, executive offsites. It's been a great place for sure. All right. So given your rich background in marketing automation, you've seen it as part of and everything. You obviously have been from day one, like you're, you're the one who funded the first check to Terminus to get started. And we started at Tech Village that David just mentioned about. What do you see 
common or not common between the marketing automation world and the account-based marketing world that you see? Sure. So Adam and I started Pardot back in early 2007. And so the initial idea was really around micro web analytics and forms and CRM integration. Right. So the original use case for Pardot, the original V1 of the software, made it so that the contact us form on a website, which before was usually a form to email, somebody would fill out a form on a website and it would turn into an email into somebody's inbox. And so V1 of the Pardot software was to replace that web form on the contact us page Mm. with a form that was powered by the Pardot system, soon to be called marketing automation. And then once that person filled out the form, it went into the marketing platform. And then from there, based on business rules, it was then inserted automatically in a structured fashion into the CRM. So it was put into Mm. salesforce.com, it was put into Sugar CRM, it was put into NetSuite and plenty of other products. And so really use case number one was that forms integration with the CRM plus some micro web analytics, right? So Google Analytics has been popular for decades, but Google Analytics gives you the macro view into your site's traffic, entry and exit pages, hits and visitors, geographic information, but it doesn't tell you what a specific visitor has been doing. Mm. And so the micro web analytics, the forms integration and the CRM integration was really V1. And Pardot really didn't take off until about, say, six months after we launched the product, which is six months after we started building it, when we added email marketing. And so mm-hmm. adding email marketing to marketing automation was really the, the big trigger from a Pardot point of view that helped the company grow tremendously. And then, of course, over time, things like automation rules and landing pages and a number of other types of modules were added to the, the Pardot platform. So this so, was 2007 when you found it. Yeah, so we started in spring of 07, launched the product in the fall of 07, and it really started to take off by around summer of 08. Yeah, and at that time, Eloqua and Marketo were there already. In the so Marketo wasn't there. Oh, Marketo wasn't there. I could forget about that. HubSpot wasn't there. Yeah. Eloqua had been there since 1999. Yeah. They'd been doing different things. They were doing live chat for a long time as one yeah. of their key uh product features. And really back then, the main competitors for this category, at first the category was called demand generation software, (laughs) and then it was called lead management software. Oh, wow. And then it was called marketing automation software. And so this idea that the category that we were playing in, you know, since it was so new and so small, there's still, you know, a lot of evolution to happen from even the naming yeah. Well, I had no idea. I'm learning so much on that. And I thought that that's what people call it because I was just kind of born into marketing automation. That's crazy. And so, yeah. So our competitors at the time were companies like Manticore Technology yeah, out of Austin, that. Texas. Yeah. And there was a company called Active Conversion. And then Eloqua was super expensive, super high end. Yeah. Whereas Pardot, our sweet spot was really that small to mid-sized business. We like to characterize it as the most bang for the buck at the most we could charge whereby a marketing manager could put the product on his or her credit card without having to get sign off from finance. <laughs> and so at the time that was about a thousand dollars a month. So a marketing yeah. manager with a marketing budget buying ads and tools and yeah. trade show booths and all this other kind of stuff, they could easily spend a thousand dollars a month and nobody would yeah. have to approve it. Right. And so from a business model point of view, and it took us a couple of years to figure this out, but from a business model point of view, 
Pardot was really focused on having the very best product that could be serviced remotely, mm-hmm. right? So inside sales reps to sell it, customer success team, client advocates, support team, doing everything in a remote fashion, really high quality, but doing it remote. And so from a business point of view, the overarching constraint on it was really that $1,000 a month price point. Yeah. So every element of the business, take that $1,000 a month price point and work backwards from it to organize the departments and go to market and everything else. And so that proved to uh, be very effective yeah. for us. Now, I think most people probably don't remember this, but I do in the pre-marketing automation days where I think one of the other things that happened as a result of marketing automation was the dependency on IT no longer existed, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember like this was 2006, even seven when, because I didn't join Pardot until like, you know, 2011, I think. Way later, or 2010, 2010. No, no, you joined uh, 2013. 2013, like even further. Wow, yeah. wow. So it's like way far, like it was like done, right? By that time. So I remember in 2007, 2008, probably time frame where I would have to go to, an, to a, somebody in IT to say, can you send this email for a promotion? And they would say, yeah, I'll do that in two weeks. Well, can you tell me how many people I can send this email to? They're like, well, that depends on when I run it. Okay, well, when would you run it? And so all this analysis, and I was just like, we were just waiting. And, and I think marketing automation really helped give marketers a ton of control over their own destiny when they wanted to run programs and stuff. And I, I feel like we probably have forgotten those days now, but those are like real days. Exactly. We like to think of it as at the time when we were building Pardot, there was really no standard to run the marketing department. Yeah. So you had a bunch of different tools and they had different value to the business like Google Analytics and yeah. others. But if you think about the accounting department, right? Mm-hmm. QuickBooks is the de facto standard. You think about the sales team, yeah. Salesforce.com Salesforce. is yeah. the de facto standard. But really when we were building Pardot, there was no de facto standard that was the main source of truth for that department. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't know it right away, but over time as we added you know, microanalytics and the forms and the landing pages and the email marketing, yeah. And then we added connectors, right? Mm-hmm. And so we built connectors into the webinar tools and we built connectors into the CRMs and we built connectors into, you know, the general analytics tools like Google yeah. Analytics. And so over time, Pardot became the de facto standard, yeah. the one source of truth for running the marketing department. Right. So before we get into ABM, I'm, all, I'm curious because you didn't raise a lot of money or any, right? You just raised some bank loans and stuff like that. What do you attribute the success of Pardot, like in the time frame that you had and, and the fact that you, you know, were able to get to like, what, 10 million in revenue for it to be sold for 95 yeah. or so? So like 13 and a half million. Run 13, and a half, yeah. 13 and a half run rate to 10 get. 10 million trailing 12 months recognized revenue. All right. So 10 million recognized revenue, 13 and a half run rate. Yeah. Sell for almost 100 million. So, I mean, that's just. With no capital, with no investors, no, no investors. angels, no yeah. venture capitalists. So what, what do you attribute that success to? Because that is not standard. Yeah, so from a timing point of view, you know, in hindsight, obviously it was very lucky on the timing. Yeah. Starting the company roughly two and a half to three years before the market really took off. Mm. So we had a couple years under our belt. We had a great team. We had a few hundred customers. We had the talk tracks down. We had yeah. the foundation down so that as the market exploded, as it crossed the chasm mm. and went to the from early adopters to the early majority, we were at the right place at the right time, with the right team, with the right product. Yeah. And then from a business point of view, 
the marketing automation software, especially the Pardot software, was so easy to show the ROI. Mm. Like it was unequivocal that as a marketing team, if you were doing X, Y, and Z, you were doing some email marketing, you were doing some direct response ads, like some Google AdWords ads, you had salespeople, so you were doing consultative sales that had a you know unique multi-touch sales process. Right. So if you were doing these things and spending money on both the tools and the advertisements and the people to layer in a thousand dollar a month marketing automation system like a Pardot, no brainer. It was a no brainer. It was an yeah. unequivocal huge ROI from yeah. it. So from a business model going back to that thousand dollar a month price point, combined with a system that made companies more money in an unequivocal fashion, we were able to profitably acquire customers and then use that money, mm. the revenue from the customers, to then just get bigger and bigger and grow faster and faster. So that's amazing. It was a really interesting point in time with an interesting price point, with an interesting you know gross margin yeah. and growth rate and everything else that we were in a unique position to be able to grow super fast and build a, a business to modest scale, yep. a little over 100 employees, a little over 13 million in recurring, but to have a corresponding growth rate with it. And then obviously to have a bunch of heavily funded competitors that were demonstrating to the world that this was a much bigger market. Yeah. Right. So Marketo had raised over $100 million. HubSpot had raised over $100 million. Yeah. Eloqua counting their IPO had raised over $100 million. And so tremendous number of heavily funded competitors showing that the addressable market was tremendous. Tremendously big. Do you know where Pardot revenue lies right now within the Salesforce ecosystem? North of $200 million a year. Wow. So, like, so it's way beyond a public company to whatever, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah. To go from $13 million to over $200 million yeah. and to do it in five years. That's amazing. It just shows how big of a market it is. And, and true story, back in 2009, we had just cleared a million of recurring revenue. Yeah. And we went out to the market and we pitched 29 different VCs. We pitched VCs up and down the East Coast. We pitched a number of famous firms in Silicon Valley like Benchmark Capital and Koya Capital and Battery Ventures and others. And the number one knock on the business by far from the various astute VCs was that they didn't think it was a big enough market to be a venture-backed company. They didn't think the total addressable market. They didn't think yeah. this idea of having a marketing platform of record to run a marketing department for the millions of companies out there was going to be a big enough market to warrant venture financing. Wow. Do you, so do actually, you feel like that was the real reason? Or do you feel like it was more, because at the same time, as you said, during that time, not maybe the exact time, Marketo and others raised, like, you know, after us. After, okay. So they hadn't raised yet. Okay. El- Eloqua had, but the yeah. others had. Yeah, I wonder Hubs how had. much of that was a Silicon Valley-based company versus Atlanta-based company had to play into that. Probably, yeah. yeah. At the time, you know, I just kept my head down, sta- or we kept our heads down and just kept building the business. Yeah. And so it turned out to be great. And yeah. We were able to build a, a business of, of reasonable size and not have any investors. So in the end, it was great, but it was interesting to reflect yeah. on, you know, this idea that the TAM wasn't big enough. Yeah. And that proved to be uh, incorrect. Wow. And 29 different no's when you, the business is growing and you have 29 really amazing companies, like, you know, investors. Very, from very successful. Yeah. And so, you know, to the investor and trying to convince them of the market size. Yeah. One of the things that we did is we said, hey, look at the number of customers that Salesforce.com had at the time. Mm. And so say they had 100,000 customers at the time. And the number of customers that Sugar CRM had at the time. Mm -hmm. Say they had 30,000 customers. And the number of customers that NetSuite had at the time on the CRM side, say 20,000. 
And so our argument to the VCs was today in 2009, there's 150,000 companies paying for a modern web-based CRM. So they're paying for a modern web-based CRM. This isn't counting ones that are using their gold mine right. or other right. on-prem software. It's not counting PeopleSoft and whatever else. 150,000 companies are paying for a modern web-based CRM. Our belief as marketing automation vendors at the time was that the vast majority of those 150,000 modern web-based CRM customers were going to pay for marketing automation. Mm. And at the time in 2009, at Pardot, we had 150 customers and maybe Eloqua had 300 customers and Marketo was getting, just getting started after they pivoted from being a, a pay-per-click ad management landing page system into marketing automation HubSpot hadn't pivoted yet. They were still doing blogging software. Mm-hmm. They hadn't gotten into marketing automation yet. They didn't really do that until about 2011, 2012. Yeah. So 150,000 companies paying for modern web-based CRM. And maybe if you squinted hard enough, 1,000 total companies were paying for marketing automation at the time. Wow. And so wow. our argument was there's going to be way, way more upside. adoption. Yeah, no doubt. Tons of upside. You know, we tried and it didn't work and... One of the best things that ever happened. <laughs> That's the best thing that ever happened, right? In retrospect. So shifting gears, do you see any similarities to that with the account-based marketing category and how it's built? Because you obviously had the front row seats looking at this from day one. Oh, absolutely. Right. So at the highest level, you know, I think of marketing automation as being a lead-based system. Right. Right. So marketing automation is about driving traffic to the site or driving traffic to the ebook download form or to the contact us form or the free trial form or the webinar signup form. Mm. And so the marketing automation world is really all about just casting a wide net and seeing what kind of fish you caught. Yep. And then looking at the fish that you caught and saying, Oh, you know, this one looks good. This one doesn't look good. Yep. And typically the majority of leads you catch don't look good. And typically less than 1% of the leads you generate turn into revenue. So a tremendous amount of time, a tremendous amount of effort is spent casting this net through marketing automation, through advertising, through a bunch of you know, modern web-based you know, B2B marketing tactics. And there is value there. There's tremendous value there. But the majority of the fish you catch aren't the right fit. Right. And less than 1% of the fish you catch turn into revenue. So there's got to be a better way. It doesn't go away, but there's got to be a better way to be more thoughtful, more Mm -hmm. proactive, more directed. And so obviously that's where account-based marketing fits in. This idea of defining your ideal customer profile, this concept of defining what the very specific characteristics, whether it's demographic or it's firmographic or it's geographic, and taking these different characteristics and then tiering them into your tier one group, your tier two group, your tier three group. And this idea of using software, using technology like Terminus and otherwise to proactively market to your best fit ideal customer profile. And so ABM is very complementary to marketing automation. And frankly, ABM is much more targeted, which is how a lot of the sales teams are already organizationally set up. You know, they're operationalized around territories and large accounts and medium-sized accounts and small accounts. And so the sales world's already organized. you got your SMB reps and your mid-market reps and your enterprise reps. But then you go to the, the lead generation side and the market automation side, and it's typically just batch and blast yeah. and casting a wide net. And so, again, this concept of 
account-based marketing is really spearfishing for the exact type of company that you know will be successful with your product or solution. And so from a sales and marketing point of view, it aligns the teams together Mm. and it creates this concept of one team. Marketing is doing efforts to go after the best fit accounts and sales teams are typically already organized around geography, around account size. And so it's aligning the marketing efforts with the sales efforts. Absolutely, man. That I mean, great. Our value prop is working. This is awesome. Do you feel in terms of just, and I'm just curious now because you have seen both part out from day one and obviously Terminus, in terms of how the categories build, like in sometimes I feel like, is this getting built faster mm-hmm. than the marketing automation days? I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but it just feels faster. But you can tell me if, if I'm wrong. Oh, absolutely. So in the market automation days, at least in the Pardot days, we were building a new category of product during the Great Recession, mm. right? So most businesses were focused on cost wow. cutting. I did not think about that. Unemployment was tremendously high. And so here we were banging the drum on this new category of software that combines a bunch of different modules. Again, the microanalytics and the email marketing and landing pages and forms and automation rules and CRM integration and connectors. And so for the marketers at the time, they didn't have as much money. The economy wasn't doing as well. And so it took longer for the category to develop than it would have otherwise. And so from an account-based marketing point of view, we're in a boom economy right now. Unemployment's the lowest it's been in 17 years. And so the opportunity for companies to take what's working now and to keep doing it, but then to reimagine how to do pieces of their go-to-market strategy with account-based marketing, you know, the opportunity is tremendous, of course. And so account-based marketing is growing even faster than marketing automation did back then. Yeah. And so I think account-based marketing also gets the benefit of the fact that there are some great tools in marketing, like marketing automation and others, that have been so successful for the marketing departments. Yeah. They've helped the companies grow faster. They've helped the companies generate more revenue, more income. And so marketing has a stronger seat at the table now compared to 10 years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago, there was still the shift going on from, you know, marketing being more about messaging and pictures and, you know, style and design, which is all very important to being analytical marketers, where marketing is about campaigns and execution and ROI and conversion rates and funnels. And so from an analytical perspective as part of the marketing forte, you know, now marketers are a lot more accountable. Right. They're accountable for generating revenue. And so ABM benefits from that as well. Totally, totally. All right. So I'm going to try to summarize a lot of like two-page notes. But as I summarize, I want you to think about a challenge that you want to give to everyone who's listening, who's probably in marketing or sales or in a leadership position and is thinking about what I need to do to run an efficient marketing or sales organization. What is one thing that you would say or an entrepreneur? So the big thing, what I learned is, you know, the three things when I asked, like, well, what made Bardot successful? I think that was really amazing, uh, which you kind of distilled it for me, is, well, the timing was the right timing. When you think about a lot of things, there are great products that are built all the time, but sometimes it's just not the right timing. And yeah. it, was, it was the Goldilocks timing. Yeah. We weren't too early and we weren't too late. We yeah. were just right. And just, just right. right is a couple years before yeah. the market really starts to take off in a meaningful way. And I, I feel like that's where... I think Terminus has been, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and literally, if you want to, like, just overlap this, this is like 2015, 2016, we just kind of 
like beating the drum of this thing. And now like this year, we're literally seeing everybody saying, yeah, of course we should be doing ABM as if it was never a question. So that's interesting. The pricing was really interesting as how you put it. Like we just wanted to make sure people can swipe their credit cards and buy this thing. And I've never heard anybody say that before. And, and I wonder how much of that one was really because of later on, as you alluded to like, well, that was the, the time of Great Depression. And at that time, right, you, you want to make sure that the financial, like people are not, we're not going after like $100,000 deal. We just, we just want to get the business going. I wonder how much of that overlap in your pricing decision. Of right. It. Something out of necessity versus, yeah. you know, some other reason. And at the time of sale, when we sold the business, thousand paying customers, our average sales cycle from time of first interest expressed was 42 days. Wow. That's, so we were that's just crazy. signing Fast. up more and more customers. Yeah. And it took 42 days yep. to get that you know, $12,000 ACV, but to do it entirely over the phone. Yeah. And so it made for a, an excellent business. Totally. And, and if, if people, if you, I think one of the things that I would highly recommend is uh, your blog, davidcummings.org. I feel like it's one of the most amazing things. And I think because uh, it's, I think, are you still doing it daily? Mm-hmm. I'm still back. All right. Not, not, not daily. Once a week. Once a week. All right. So you used yeah. to do daily. Uh, For 3,000 days. 3,000 days. Wow. I wonder how long I can do the daily flip muffle podcast. It's been 200 mm-hmm. days. So we'll that, that's see. That's awesome. That's, that's <laughs> a big milestone. Uh, but you, the third thing, the timing, pricing, and then you said something that I think you've said in your blog a few times, which is what I wanted to point it to it, which is the idea of, are you selling a vitamin? Are you selling... Painkiller. A painkiller. And, yeah. and you made the third point was, you know, the, the marketing automation actually made money, you know. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you're selling a painkiller. And, and that was a, a big way to kind of do it. So I think, I think people probably should take note of that. That's pretty cool. And then in terms of marketing automation, ABM, I, I think you, you said it really awesome. Like what the problem with lead-based marketing is, less than 1% to where ABM is. Many would say, and I think we and I, we and I have talked about this before, is the, the most Crazy thing is like every time I talk to a salesperson, they're like, welcome, welcome, <laughs> welcome that you finally understand what I do because we have been closing accounts. As a matter of fact, our title says account executive. Mm-hmm. Glad you noticed that after 20 years of like, you know, whatever marketing. So I feel like ABM has been a great thing. So with that, what is the one challenge you want to give everybody? The one challenge for sales leaders, marketing leaders, and entrepreneurs out there is to build a process of continuous learning whether it's blog posts or books or book clubs or events or trade shows, my recommendation, my challenge is to build a process of continuous learning. And so set goals, whether it's one book a month or one trade show a quarter or 10 blog posts a week, set goals around becoming a learning machine. And so that's one of the best things that I've ever done for myself personally is coming up with a process for myself to just continually learn. And it served me well. That's amazing. David, thank you so much for doing this. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.